0: for how he seals us until the day of redemption and instructs us in and by the scripture. Father, thank you for the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his reign, his intercession, his return. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd help me uh, in spite of my weaknesses and wickedness and unworthiness, that you'd work through me and make your appeal through me to the hearts and minds of your people. Father, I pray that we would leave this place uh, more transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Help us to see him, his beauty, his wonder, his splendor, as we look into your word. Father, uh, cleanse our hearts by Jesus speaking to us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to um, keep moving on in this series of uh, resurrected living. We've come now to uh, what is supposed to be the last sermon in that series. And uh, we're looking in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we'll be speaking from verses 12 through 17. I would like to read 1 through 17 uh, to get us into the context And so please hear God's Word from Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Uh, The third point in this uh, particular uh, passage, we've looked at the first couple of paragraphs, but uh, since we will appear with Christ in glory, let us put on a heavenly manner. A heavenly manner. And what... What comes behind, as you know, uh, verses 12 through 17, what must come before we talk about to do is what's been done. And uh, everything in the Christian life is built on what God has done in Christ by His Spirit for His glory and for our good. That we are not ever asked in the Bible to do anything. I always challenge people, find one command in the Bible that God gives us, that is not rooted in who he is, who we are in him, and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Everything flows from the work of God. Uh, God never tells us to just, just do that because I'm bigger than you, right? Let's do that because I love you. He is bigger than us, <laughs> but uh, he moves us Not only by his lordship and his kingdom, but by his love and his kindness. And so, what's behind uh, verses 12 through 17, as you already know, is that we have been raised with Christ. We talked about this last week how you have been vindicated. Uh, We have been free from condemnation, free from accusation, free from spiritual incarceration to sin. God has set you free. He has graciously saved you, saved us through Jesus Christ, His Son. You've been raised with Him. And you are uh, called to seek what is now yours in Christ Jesus. The authority that God has given us in Christ. And the assurance that He's given us. The aid, the divine aid that is always available. The access that we can come to God at any time, any place, with anything. And we have an open door policy with God. And uh, He calls us to seek adoration, worship for Him. And the passage we'll look at today has a lot to do with worship, has a lot to do with thanksgiving in the space of these verses. Thanksgiving is repeated as a, as a constant theme, as a, um, a piece of a, a character that is always supposed to be a part of the Christian's lifestyle. We are to be thankful people. We have much to be thankful for. And we're told also to set our mind on uh, things above, not on things on the earth. Last week we looked at the things of the earth, some of those things. This week we'll look at the things above. And we're asked to set our mind on things above because we died. Uh, We are hidden. Our life is in Christ. And and that's summed up. The fact that we died, our life is hidden with Christ, and the life we now have in Christ It's summed up in Galatians 2.20, a passage we have quoted many times, that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. That is is part and parcel of our identity, that we have been crucified with Jesus Christ. That our old life and our old way of doing things is dead. It's a dead thing. Uh, It's past tense. And the life we live, we live because Christ lives inside of us. He exists inside of us. And we are going to appear in glory one day with Jesus Christ. Christ is coming back again. In spite of what some uh, people may say. They said the same thing in the days of Noah, when he preached righteousness. They said, where's the rain, Noah? Noah. We never saw rain before. And then the clouds came and the lightning struck and the rain fell and people said, oops. And it was too late. The door was shut. Um, So we we have this as the backdrop of our call um, to put on a heavenly manner. And also, in addition to those things, we're asked to put on As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We saw last week how that imagery of putting on is an imagery that you have put off old, dirty, filthy, smelly garments, and you have put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have put on Jesus Christ Himself. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 12 through uh, 14, it says, Well, look at verse 11. Besides this, you know that the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in, Ver- in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 27, we are told, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're asked to put on Christ, put on His very character. Put on, therefore, as chosen ones, God's chosen ones. You know that you are chosen in Christ Jesus, and you were chosen, and I was chosen not because we were choice. Isn't that right? I heard somebody say that one time, I like that. We're chosen not because we're choice. You know, when you go to the grocery store and you pick out grade A meat or grade A eggs, whatever it be, if you open up the... The, uh, the egg carton, which you should do, check the eggs. Don't check them when you get home. Check them before you leave. But you check the eggs. If you have three cracked eggs, are you going to buy them? Probably not. Now, there may be somebody in here super sanctified that says, I'll take, I'll take them. I'll take them. I'll take the loss. I'll pay the cost and take the loss. But most people won't do that. I won't do that. I'm going to get 12 eggs. And Baker gets 13. You know, Baker's doesn't. But when God chose you, he opened the carton, and every egg was cracked. You know what I'm saying? Everything was messed up. And he didn't put the carton back in the refrigerator, did he? He said, it's mine. It's all mine. I'm going to die for it and make a brand new egg out of this one. Isn't that right? You were born again. Amen. So we were chosen not because we were choice, The Bible says that back there in in Deuteronomy. Some of this imagery comes from the Old Testament, as you know. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasure possession. Out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number. And it goes on to say that God chose you because uh, He loves you and He was keeping a promise. He he shows them, actually, they were the fewest of all people. And then in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you the good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. And so he goes on with a long litany explaining to them how they really messed up, but God is still being gracious to them. And so the fact that we are chosen, elect by God has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God and His love and His compassion, His faithfulness. Uh, towards us and towards his promises not only that we are chosen ones we're holy set apart set apart by God that's what holy means it means to be set apart from sin set apart by God and set apart for God for his special purposes it's a calling God has given you a calling he has set you apart he has made you special in Jesus Christ we're all special because we're created in the image of God but there is a unique specificity that God gives to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, not because of you, but because of what He has put in you by His Spirit. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 7. I'll have to read it because I can't remember it. But uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The change that's come over you, the change that God has made in you is because of God, because of His grace. Um, And so not only that, but we're holy, we're also beloved. Again, this emphasis on God's love for you. You have been loved by God. You have been set apart by God. You are chosen by God. And it's because of God and what He's done in Jesus Christ that He has made these uh, great changes. He has made you who you are. And so, um, all to Him we owe. Isn't that what the hymn writer said? Sin had left a crimson stain and Jesus washed it white as snow. It's because of Christ, because of God working in Christ by His Spirit that we have been chosen. We have been made holy we have been beloved, beloved by God. Beloved is a word in the perfect tense, with a which means it, it has, it's a past thing that God did and it has present ramifications, eternal ramifications. God loved you in the past and it has meaning today. That love still lasts. That love will never let you go. The only way to put to death the things mentioned in verses 5 and following, the only way to put off the things mentioned in verse 8, is to put on something in its place. There has to be something taking the place of what used to be in our life. You know that implicitly. Um, When is a thief not a thief? The Bible says it's not when he stops stealing. But it's when he stops stealing, starts working, starts saving with the express purpose of giving to somebody in need. That's when the thief has become reformed. Not when he just keeps his hands in his pocket. But when he has a whole brand new way and perspective of looking at things and people and possession and wealth and generosity. All of that has to shift for there to be a change. Because if, if it's not that, then you become, uh, we become, You remember in Luke chapter 11, like the, the, the demon that left the house remember he left his house went off into dry land got lonely and came back and wanted to see how things were at his house it's still his house and everything was swept and in an order so he went out and found seven other demons worse than himself and came in and wrecked the place that something has to be put in the spot in order for there to be real reformation, real change, real renovation of our lives. We can't simply put something away. We can't simply put something to death. We've got to live a certain way in light of putting something else to death. We've got to put something else on in place of what we've taken off. Um, And that's what God calls us to. You know, a big part of this passage is, is thanksgiving. And uh, we talked last week about sexual sins and social sins. Did you know that in the Bible, one of the big ways to overcome sexual sin is through gratitude? You remember Joseph in Genesis 39, he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife. And how did he overcome that? He started listing the things he was thankful for that God had done for him. Isn't that interesting? It's also interesting in Romans chapter 1 that that's why people go south morally is because the first thing they do wrong is they fail to give God glory and give Him thanks. And then everything else goes down after that. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says to put off immorality and impurity and all of these idolatries, and it says to put on one thing in its place, thanksgiving. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. There's a clue in that letter. It also says in chapter 5, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, that you rejoice and give thanks in all things. There are immediate connections between these things. And so, putting on as God's chosen is very, very important to uh, to not simply do one step, but do the two-step to put something else on in its place. Um, And so we're called to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is a central trait. Love is what binds all of these things together. And the love spoken of here speaks of that tenacious commitment to people that you will love them no matter what. It's like a marriage vow. When you get up and say your I do's and everybody looks pretty and smells nice on that day, typically, um, and uh, it's easy to say I do sometimes when everybody looks wonderful, pretty, and hairs combed and polished, new nails, new everything. Um, but two years from then, and five years from then, 20 years from then, for some of you old folk, 30 years from then, you wake up, you look at each other, and you say, hmm. And, uh, but love says, even though there's an mm, I'm going to be here. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to drop dead before I go. It's a real commitment. Love, talked about here, is what binds everything together. It's a commitment. It is, a, it is, a, it is like a marriage vow a commitment to people. You know, people in the body of Christ, you're in the same body. We're all in the same body. We're members of one another. We can't do without each other. If you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, we're all going to be in glory together one day. So we're, we're, you can say we're stuck with one another. Um, you can say, um, what is that song? I'm hooked on a feeling, um, high on believing. Isn't that isn't that, are they the right words? Yeah, so I mean, we can, we can, we can, that low ball, don't worry about the baby. Baby's supposed to cry. You know what I'm saying? Now, if that was you, you know, I'd, we need to lay hands and pray, you know. But a baby's supposed to do it. Just let him, let him cry. But, but the point is that you can say, I'm stuck with you. And that's, you know, that doesn't make the other person feel too romantic, you know. I'm, I'm stuck, you know. That, <laughs> if you're stuck, you're in quicksand, you know what I mean? You're about to drown or something. Say, I'm with you till the end committed to you, bound to you. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. But God calls us in light of that love, that tena- tenaciousness, tenacity, to have compassionate hearts. Compassionate heart is a heart of sympathy, affection. And not simply a feeling of affection, but an unconditional, gracious demonstration of mercy. It's like the Good Samaritan. You resolve To stay involved until the problem gets solved. You know what I'm saying? When he saw the man on the street, beat up, broken, and bruised, he didn't look the other way, he didn't turn the other way, he didn't walk the other way, he got himself involved. It was a cost to him. He had to adjust his schedule, he had to change things around because he was there to be involved until the problems got solved. That's what compassion means. It means that you look at someone as if it were you. You look at something, look at someone as if it were you. When the Good Samaritan walked down the road, he saw himself laying there, beat up, bloody, and bruised. That's what the context demands uh, with respect to interpretation. Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. In all things, Jesus said. You know? Showing mercy, showing compassion. Then you have kindness. Kindness is active love to those who probably have hurt you. Joseph, talked about him. Remember his brothers did him wrong. They didn't do him a solid like they said, you know. They sold him. Sold their own brother. That's bad, man. I mean, (laughs) they didn't want to throw him under the bus. They sold him to the enemy. And uh, I don't know what you would have done if you were Joseph and got to the to the throne, and and saw your brothers coming there begging for food. But Joseph was kind. Now, he tested him a little bit, sure. But he was kind to them. He didn't do to them what they did to him. What did he say? Joseph remained in Egypt, and uh, he said to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. There it is. He knew his place. He knew God's place. And that if God wanted to right some wrong with his brothers, that was God's business. But he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know the kindness of God is what leads people to repent, and if you start a fire and then I start a fire and we got a bigger fire, sooner or later we both gonna get burned. And uh, but the kindness of God leads folk to repent, and the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and so let the Spirit of God be kind through you, and lead people to repent. You know the Bible says in First Peter chapter one that when people see your good behavior. It'll put them to shame. They'll start to hang their head at the way they behaved around you and the way they've treated you. may not happen even in your lifetime, uh, but but people will soon get the memo that their actions are out of place, even if it happens on Judgment Day, unfortunately. But we don't want that. Humility, humble-mindedness, even when sinned against, ready to serve, For the good of others. You know, all these things are summed up in Jesus Christ. Who was more compassionate, had a more compassionate heart, except Jesus? Isn't that right? Jesus was uh, tenacious in his love towards us, he didn't leave us, he didn't forsake us. He got the carton full of damaged eggs and he still held on to it as if it was a prized and treasured possession. That's how God sees you. Compassion. He showed sympathy. He showed affection. He graciously, unconditionally demonstrated his love for people who were broken, demonically harassed, and needed healing. Amen. It's worth ringing the bell over that thing. (laughs) Uh, The good news is that Jesus is kind. He's kind in his heart. God is kind to you. Notice what it says over there in Titus chapter 3. You know the passage. Um, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, but you only need to read a couple of those verses. You could have did it quicker with a phone, I know. Um, Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The goodness and loving kindness. You know, loving kindness, that word in the Greek is the word philanthropist. That's where we get our word philanthropist. He's a lover of mankind. He, he, he gives huge donations to people who have nothing to give Him in return. Um, God has been kind-hearted, tender-hearted towards us. Humble mind, <clears throat> humble-minded, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be within you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And, and, and that mind is a mind that counts you more valuable, more significant than Himself. When it came to Calvary... And Jesus was, was going to be crucified. He had been in Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. Don't you know my Father? I can pray to Father and He can send me over 70,000 angels. But how would the Scriptures be fulfilled? He was meek and humble. They go together. He limited Himself to love you, to serve you. He had a humble mind considering you more valuable than Himself on Calvary. Thinking about other people, not thinking about himself. And uh, you've heard the saying that uh, good self esteem is not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. Um, <clears throat> he was meek. We're called to be meek. Like we said, limiting ourselves in order to be a benefit and blessing to others not seeking to defend ourselves, take revenge. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind like you have it to spare. You know, we need to be meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. And then it says, patience, bearing with one another. You know, one of the most amusing passages in the Bible, um, I know you perked up when you heard that, It may be amusing, depending on your level of sense of humor. Um, But in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 17, it says, The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their state in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Most people don't think about God in the wilderness putting up with folk. You know, that's, that's toleration. He tolerated them. He put up with them. How long am I going to put up with this? Isn't that we you, you ever say that? He put up with them for 40 years. He's still putting up with folk. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes people say, in, particularly in marriage relationships, you know, this relationship is 50-50. You know, and usually people who say 50-50, marriage don't last that long. Uh, Marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100%, 100%. And sometimes it's 200% on your side for a long period of time. Putting up with, bearing with one another. Putting up with one another. Patience. You know, into each life, as it said, a little rain must fall. In Acts chapter 22, verse... uh, um, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says... Through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. You know, if you haven't noticed yet, when you deal with people, oftentimes you have to deal with their sin and their suffering and their difficulties and their hardship. And it can be a pain. And I I know you're saying amen in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud um, because it's also a pain to deal with ourselves. As much as we think other people can be annoying we are just as annoying as they are. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I don't know how many when I said that, how many people f- went through your mind, but you should have been the first person to go through your mind that you can be annoying to people. I know I can be annoying to people. I'm probably annoying some of you right now. And those who laughed are the ones who agree with that. I know who you are. So you laugh. I'll talk to you later. But the point is, you know, we go through difficulty in this life. In this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. You know, I, <clears throat> I, ha- I always say I halfway grew up on a farm. Because I went to a farm high school with pigs and chickens and cows and horses. And then I worked for a number of years in the pharmaceutical industry taking care of animals. <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> I'm just joking, folks. Listen, when you deal with all those animals, they eat. The next day, something else happens. There's a lot of mess. When you go on a farm, listen, folks, if you want nice tomatoes and nice peppers and nice corn, if you really want it to grow nicely, you've got to spread some manure on the soil. I know I'm right about that. I used to go to Walter Biddle Saw High School of Agricultural Sciences, and when you go up Henry Avenue, there is a huge pile about this high of manure. It's free. You can go there and get it. Even now, if you want to take the trip, it's there. You can go get it. If you want to put that in your car, you're welcome to it. (laughs) But but you know something? That pile doesn't last long. Because folk know, if I put that on my tomato gardens, my tomatoes are going to look nicer than yours. My flowers are gonna be bigger, brighter, and beautiful more than yours. That's true, that's true, that's scientifically true. You get some manure and put it in your garden. Your neighbors are not gonna like you. They're gonna smell it in the middle of the night and call you on the phone. But when it comes time for harvest and the tomatoes, they're gonna be coming to your house because you got the biggest, brightest, boldest tomato flavor. You know, God uses uh, the manure in your life to make you beautiful. He uses difficulty and suffering to shape your character. He uses difficult people. Some people call them sandpaper people. They scrub off the rough edges in your life. I don't know about you, it's difficult, it's hard to go through, but, but, but sometimes when you deal with a difficult relationship, a difficult situation, it builds your character. It helps sanctify you. You don't even have to be in a relationship for a long period of time. I know some people young who have more maturity than I do because of what they've gone through. Uh, The Bible says in the book of um, Psalm 119, It says over there in verse 99, well, it says before that, oh, how I love your law. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for my testimonies of your meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts how you deal with suffering and how you deal with difficult people and how you bear up with them. You can complain about them, you can grumble, or you can give thanks to God and remember that God is putting up with you right now. He loves you. He's going to put up with you. He began a good work in your life. He's faithful to bring it unto completion. But when God takes you to heaven, you are not going to be the way you are now. He's not going to deal with this stuff up there. He's going to change you. So by definition, he is putting up with sin in our life right now. You may not like that perspective, but God loves you eternally. He will never leave or forsake you or turn his back on you. He's in this to the, the end. But love binds everything together. God is love. He's keeping you in his company because he's worked by grace, graciously through the gift of faith in Jesus Christ in your life. You're his forever. But there's still a sense in which he is putting up with our sin. And so whenever you have to deal with a difficult person and put up with them, just remember, look in the mirror and remind yourself who's putting up with you and how he's still committed to the end to your good and to your graciousness. You know, it takes, it takes, um, it takes the grace of God to be able to to recognize this person is in the image of God. They're not all they should be, but God lives in them. They trust in Jesus Christ, and so I'm committed to them, I'm committed to the body of Christ until I see Christ formed in in her. Isn't that what Paul said? He says, I'm in birth pains until I see Christ formed in you. He said that in the Church of Galatia. I'm in birth pains. I'm putting up with all the mess because I want to see Christ formed in you. Um, And you, you you want to see Christ formed in me. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You have been forgiven by God. Sometimes, you know, when people do you wrong, it hurts. Be honest. It hurts. And sometimes we want to stay mad at people. Sometimes we feel like we, we want an excuse to be angry with them, to go to sleep angry with them, to stay angry with them, not to deal with them anymore. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church, that's and the way things go. People hurt you, and, and slowly but surely, a little bitterness forms, a little more bitterness forms. But, but the only way to really let people go is to remember, I have sinned against God Almighty. And what did God do about that? He sent Jesus he died for my sin. He shed His blood. He, he washed me. He cleanses me. And He sees me as righteous as He is. As sinless as He is. That's the way He sees me positionally with Him. And so He deals with my daily sin in light of the reality that He has made about me. And so when we deal with the body of Christ, we deal with people who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, people who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, people who are accepted eternally by God, and they will never, ever, ever be cast away. Even though they got wrinkled here and a crack there and something's not right there, because of what we are in Christ, I will forgive, because I have been forgiven. Um... And that's a a very real thing. Um, You see, I I periodically do marriage counseling, and I I meet with people, and and, um, you see people long over years, bitter, angry, stuff done 20 years ago, still mad about it, never dealt with it. And so so when they kiss, they have to force themselves to do it because they haven't dealt with it. They haven't taken it to the cross, and they haven't taken themselves to to remind themselves. I was a sinner. All these things that I'm complaining about someone else, they're true of me as well. God's got a rap sheet on me, and he ripped it up, burnt it up, got rid of it, and put Jesus' righteousness in its place. And it's when we rejoice in that reality that we're able to forgive people freely and really let it go. Um, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That brings us right to prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It surpasses understanding. You're not going to figure out what God's going to do about all the anxieties. It surpasses your understanding, but you still have peace guarding your heart and mind because you have humbly, like a child, brought your trouble to God and said, I'm anxious about this, I'm troubled about this. God is calling us in this passage to bring our troubles to God in prayer and leave them there. Sometimes we leave them there and we take them back. We ask God, how are you going to please help me with this and then you take it back and try to figure it out all by yourself. Leave it there. The Bible says that the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. You were called to be a people at peace, at rest. That word in, in Philippians means don't stampede. Like horses that got spooked and they just stampede. They run all over the place. They run over top of people. They're not even looking what they're running. They're just trying to get away. You know that commercial, want to get away? <laughs> That's sometimes the way we feel, don't we? <laughs> Trouble happens in our life. We just, we just wish we could hit a button and boom, just be out of here. I don't have to deal with it no more. Years ago, they said, Calgon, take me away. Some of you all remember that. It was a bath. They put the bubble bath in there. Calgon, take me away. woman jump in the bathtub. And there, all the troubles go away. <laughs> they never should get out there all day again. They're just wet. Because you're the one who caused the trouble. Anyway, at the peace of Christ rule, you and I are supposed to be people of peace, people of prayer, people casting our cares and burdens on God. We should pray about every single thing. All day long, we should be in people who are constantly crying out to God in prayer, like little babies. Little babies always crying. It's like, what do you want now? I just fed you. Oh, your diaper. Okay, I changed your diaper. What do you want now? Now you want to be held. What's up? Babies cry all day long, unless they're sleeping. Even then, I got one now that cries in his sleep. Got me jumping out of the bed every five minutes to see whether he's okay. We're crazy. We're just like that too. But we have to be people like that. Like little children crying out to our Father about every single thing. We think, I'm a man, I got this. You ain't got nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We need to be people crying out to God in prayer. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule. Arbitrate. Navigate. Peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching everyone, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. Um, here again, secondly, it says, and be thankful, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, and be thankful. And here again it says, with thanksgiving in our heart. It's interesting how uh, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We're supposed to be people who are full of Christ's word. The whole scripture is the word of Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse... 10 and 11 says it was Jesus Christ who was telling the prophets in the Old Testament what to say. It's his words. And then when the New Testament comes, the apostles were told to say, by Jesus Christ. It was the Spirit of Christ in them. The whole Bible is the Word of Christ, and the whole Bible is about Christ. He's the only way to get to God. This is Christ's book. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly to the point where you are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. All the treasures of wisdom are found in Christ anyway. Um, A couple weeks ago, Craig was preaching and he he spoke about uh, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim. Talking about Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. We are supposed to be people who are constantly pointing one another to Jesus Christ. Teaching each other about Jesus Christ. And it should lead to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And singing psalms is a real thing, you know. God gave us a hymn book; it's the psalter, and we should try once in a while to sing a psalm, a real psalm, you know, and sing some songs, um, and sing spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Um, you know, music is very powerful, and what what what's given here, what this passage teaches us, is that we are to be people who catechize one another in song. Our teaching should lead us to worship. It should te- it should- teaching should lead to doxology. It should lead you to worship God. Our, our, our teaching, our preaching should lead us to singing, to worshiping God. You know, songs have a very potent, powerful, emotive force on us. And sometimes we don't want to be emotional or affectionate or something like that, but the Bible, made God has made us emotional beings. And if your emotions are wrapped up in... The word of God, the wisdom of God, the worth of God. That's a, 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 a level of worship that we need to enter into uh, very often. Um, spiritual songs, singing psalms with thankfulness in our hearts. You know, um, just to show you how powerful, how powerful music can be. Um, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with John Lennon. And uh, he wrote a song called Imagine. And um, I don't know about you, but the tune of that song is very powerful. It's very emotive. But the lyrics are garbage. It really is. But it just shows you how emotive a song can be. How powerful just a tune can be, a melody can be. But the lyrics are dead wrong on every single level. And um, I'm afraid sometimes we lose some of our young people to some of the music in the world because of the, uh, because of the, ly- because of the melody. And um, a melody without any, any real meat, any real worth. Um, and the New Testament is full of hymns to Jesus Christ, and we should be singing and worshiping them, worshiping Christ through them. Philippians chapter 2 gives us a hymn that he, let this mind be with you, which also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself. No, that's a hymn that used to be sung most. Uh, theologians believe. We should sing about Christ. We should sing about His love. Even if you can't hold a tune in a bucket, you should sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, And whatever you do, the passage concludes, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, this is a sister passage to in all things, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Think about the things that you and I say, the things that we do. And before we say and before we do, ask yourself a question. Would it be right with what I'm about to say to sign Jesus' name to it? What I'm about to do, could I get a stamp with Jesus' name and put it on that? And say, this was done in Jesus' name. This was said in Jesus' name. How would his reputation be upheld if if this word or this action was connected to him? If someone connected the dots of what I said and what I did back to Jesus, would it make him look good or would it make him look bad? The Bible here calls us to to be immersed in Christ Jesus, immersed in his word, immersed in worshiping Him, teaching one another, admonishing one another, keeping everyone on the road to maturity so that whatever we say, whatever we do, Jesus' reputation is squeaky clean through us. Now, we can't be perfect people, but this is the, the calling that has been given to us. And even though we are imperfect, we have this calling to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him. To let every deed and every word speak highly of Jesus. And, it's, and it concludes with, again, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The only thing that's going to stir us to do this is a, a heart that's been warmed to gratitude because of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. I know it's been a little long today, but we, it's important to think about these things more than just a moment. That whatever we do, let Christ be glorified in us. Because we have been raised with Him. We have been vindicated by Him. We will appear with Him one day in glory. And so let us now give glory to Him in all that we think, all that we say, and all that we do. Do you know that there are, um, just throw this out as a concluding remark, not to be in any way legalistic, um, but there are there are Muslims uh, who have memorized the Quran, every word, word perfect, and the book is dead. Has no real theological or spiritual worth. It's not from God, but they've memorized the whole thing. There are people in India who are Buddhists who have memorized their holy books, which are. 50, 60,000 times bigger than the Bible. Word perfect, memorize everything. I'm not saying you have to memorize the Bible to be a spiritual person. It may probably not make you a spiritual person. It may make you very arrogant. But the point is that these people are so immersed in what they believe to be true, that they're willing to commit it to memory. And yet we are God's people. We actually have the truth of God in the Scripture. Not because we're so special, but because God is so special. He's given us his revelation. There is nothing that can trump this book. And to be people who are filled with it, richly immersed in God's word. So much so that our hearts are overflowing with it, so that when when something happens, the first thing that comes out of us is the word of God. You remember the illustration how the guy held up a bottle of water and took the top off and shook it and asked everybody why did water come out the bottle? And everybody said, because you shook it. He said, no, it's because water was in the bottle. And, and if you are filled with the word of Christ, when you get shaken in this world, guess who's going to come out of you? Jesus is going to come out of you. Um, I know the story of a man once who was almost killed in a car accident, T-boned. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, Lord Jesus, please help me. The first four-letter word was Lord. And uh, we are to be a people who are putting on, chosen, holy, and beloved, all of these characteristics of Jesus Christ through letting his word richly dwell in us. Fill yourself up. You go to the gas station, you get gas for your car, fill up your body. Fill up your soul with the scripture and let it flow out of you. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for, uh, for Jesus. We thank you for the power of the scripture. Father, you have said that your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes the purpose for which you have sent it and succeeds in the thing for which you have given it. And it brings about transformation and it gives glory to you. Father, help us to take that passage seriously and to spend our days meditating richly on your word, meditating on how it points us to Jesus and how it shows us the beauty of Christ. And Father, I pray that through that word and by your spirit, you would transform us and make us more like Jesus Christ than we have ever been before. Help us to take that, that, that injunction that, that, that Jesus told, that command that Jesus told to Martha and Mary that Mary chose the, chose the good part, sitting at his feet, listening to his word. And that made all the difference in her life. God, help us to make a difference in our life that brings you glory and praise and worship. That our life, our speech, our words build your reputation in our life that we would make you look good. We can't really make you look good. You look better than you ever could look. But you know what I mean, Father. That there wouldn't be any stain on your rep through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.